0: chapter twenty six of the lady's book of etiquette and manual of politeness by florence hartley this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by christine lamberton chapter twenty six miscellaneous there are many little pieces of rudeness only too common which while they evince ill-breeding and are many of them extremely annoying yet they are met with every day and in persons otherwise well bred as they come under no particular head they will merely be mentioned here as habits carefully to avoid it is rude to look over the shoulder of a person who is either reading or writing yet it is done every day to stand with the arms akimbo the hands on the hips or with the arms crossed whilst conversing is exceedingly unladylike avoid restless movements either with the hands or feet to sit perfectly quiet without stiffness easily yet at the same time almost motionless, is one of the surest proofs of high-breeding. If you wish to make yourself agreeable to anyone, talk as much as you please about his or her affairs, and as little as possible about your own. Avoid passing before persons seated in the same room with yourself. If you must rise to move from place to place, endeavor to pass behind the chairs of your companions. Above all, never pass between two persons who are conversing together. Avoid personal remarks. They evince a want of judgment, good taste, kindness, and politeness to exchange glances or significant smiles with a third person whilst engaged in a conversation with a second is a proof of low breeding suppressed laughter shrugging of the shoulders rolling of the eyes and significant glances are all marks of ill-breeding if you meet a gentleman at the foot of a flight of stairs do not go up before him stop bow and motion to him to precede you he will return your bow and run up leaving you to follow him never whisper or make any confidential communication in company Keep private remarks for private occasions. Accepting presents from gentlemen is a dangerous thing. It is better to avoid any such obligations and, if you make it a rule, never to accept such presents, you will avoid hurting anyone's feelings and save yourself from all further perplexity in meeting your elderly friends in the street look at them long enough to give them an opportunity of recognizing you and if they do so return their salutations respectfully not with the familiar nod you would give to one of your own age never remain seated whilst a person older than yourself is standing before you talking to you Never lounge on a sofa while there are those in the room whose years give them a better claim to this sort of indulgence. Never tease a person to do what she has once declined. Never refuse a request or invitation in order to be urged and accept afterwards. Comply at once if the request is sincere you will thus afford gratification if not the individual making it deserves to be punished for insincerity by being taken at her word it is not polite when asked what part of a dish you will have to say any part it is quite indifferent to me it is hard enough to carve for one's friends without choosing for them it is not polite to entertain a visitor with your own family history or the events of your own household it is not polite for married ladies to talk in the presence of gentlemen of the difficulty they have in procuring domestics and how good-for-nothing they are when procured it is not polite to put food upon the plate of a guest without asking leave or to press her to eat more than she wants it is not polite to stare under ladies bonnets as if you suspected they had stolen the linings from you or wore something that was not their own never affect a foolish reserve in a mixed company keeping aloof from others as if in a state of mental abstraction if your brain is so full and so busy that you cannot attend to the little civilities cheerful chit-chat and light amusements of society keep out of it never read in company You may open a book to look over the engravings, if you will, but do not attend to the letterpress until you are alone. Never jest upon serious subjects. Avoid scandal. If another person attempts to open a conversation upon scandalous matters, check her. Say gravely, that it is painful for you to hear of the faults or misfortunes of others where your counsel and assistance can be of no service many persons whose tongues never utter a scandalous word will by a significant glance a shrug of the shoulders a sneer or curl of the lip really make more mischief and suggest harder thoughts than if they used the severest language this is utterly detestable if you have your tongue under perfect control you can also control your looks and you are cowardly contemptible and wicked when you encourage and countenance slander by a look or gesture never speak of gentlemen by their first name unless you are related to them it is very unladylike to use the surname without the prefix mr to hear a lady speak of smith brown anderson instead of mr anderson or mr smith sounds extremely vulgar and is a mark of low breeding Avoid eccentricity, either in dress, conversation or manner. It is a form of vanity as it will attract attention and is therefore in bad taste. Never act as if in a hurry. Ease of action need not imply laziness, but simply polite self-possession never laugh at your own wit that is the part of those who hear you and if you take their duty from them they may omit to join you in your laugh do not indulge in ridicule it is coarse and unladylike as well as unfeeling like every other personality it should be carefully avoided never handle any ornament or article of furniture in the room in which you are a visitor do not lean your head against the wall you leave an indelible mark upon the paper or if the wall is whitewashed you give your hair a dingy dusty look by bringing it into contact with the lime never lean forward upon a table let neither hands nor arms rest there heavily to bestow flattery upon a person to his face betrays a want of delicacy yet not less so rudely to rebuke his errors or mention his faults and not have a tender regard for his feelings it is not improper and may sometimes be very kind to mention to an individual what yourself and others think of his conduct or performances when it is for his interest or usefulness to know it to express to a friend deserved approbation is generally proper nothing but a quick perception of the feelings of others and a ready sympathy with them can regulate the thousand little proprieties that belong to visits of condolence and congratulation. There is one hint, however, as regards the former, which may perhaps be useful, and that is not to touch upon the cause of affliction unless the mourner leads the way to it and if a painful effort is made to appear cheerful and to keep aloof from the subject do not make the slightest allusion that could increase this feeling when at table to press your guests to take more than they have inclination for is antiquated and rude this does not however prevent your recommending particular dishes to their attention everything like compulsion is quite exploded it is a great mistake to suppose that the best music is the most difficult of execution the very reverse generally speaking is the case Music of a high order certainly demands high gifts and attainments on the part of the performer, but the gifts of nature may be possessed by the amateur as well as by the professor, and the attainments of art may be the result of moderate study and application. A young lady possessed of a sweet, and tunable voice a good ear intelligence and feeling may cultivate music in its grandest and most beautiful forms and may render its practice a source of the purest enjoyment not only to herself but to her domestic and social circle the various ceremonies observed in refined society, are very useful in settling little points, on which there might otherwise be much doubt and perplexity, but they should never be so strenuously insisted upon as to make an accidental omission of them a ground of resentment, and an apology should always be accepted in their place. Your enjoyment of a party depends far less on what you find there than on what you carry with you. The vain, the ambitious, the designing will be full of anxiety when they go and of disappointment when they return. A short triumph will be followed by a deep mortification and the selfishness of their aims defeats itself if you go to see and to hear and to make the best of whatever occurs with a disposition to admire all that is beautiful and to sympathize in the pleasures of others you can hardly fail to spend the time pleasantly the less you think of yourself and your claims to attention the better if you are much attended to receive it modestly and consider it as a happy accident if you are little noticed use your leisure in observing others it were unjust and ungrateful to conceive that the amusements of life are altogether forbidden by its beneficent author they serve on the contrary important purposes in the economy of human life and are destined to produce important effects both upon our happiness and character they are in the first place in the language of the psalmist the wells of the desert the kind resting-places in which toil may relax in which the weary spirit may recover its tone and where the desponding mind may resume its strength and its hopes it is not therefore the use of the innocent amusements of life which is dangerous but the abuse of them it is not when they are occasionally but when they are constantly pursued and when from being an occasional indulgence it becomes an habitual desire women in the middle rank are brought up with the idea that if they engage in some occupations they shall lose their position in society suppose it to be so surely it is wiser to quit a position we cannot honestly maintain than to live dependent upon the bounty and caprice of others better to labor with our hands than eat the bread of idleness or submit to feel that we must not give utterance to our real opinions or express our honest indignation at being required to act a base or unworthy part and in all cases however situated every female ought to learn how all household affairs are managed were it only for the purpose of being able to direct others there cannot be any disgrace in learning how to make the bread we eat to cook our dinners or mend our clothes or even to clean the house better to be found busily engaged in removing the dust from the furniture than to let it accumulate there until a visitor leaves palpable traces where his hat or his arm have been laid upon a table. Never put temptation in a servant's way. Never be severe for trifling offences, such as accidentally breaking anything, but reserve your severity for those offences which are moral evils, such as a want of truth, general laxity of principle, etc the orders given to servants should be clear and definite and they should be trained as much as possible to perform their duties regularly so that every morning they may know pretty nearly what will be expected of them during the day it is a great point to live when you are alone as if you expected company that is to say to have everything so neat and orderly that you need not be ashamed of anyone seeing your table it is very little more trouble and certainly no more expense and the advantages in point of comfort are unspeakable if a foolish girl by dint of squeezing and bracing with busk and bones secures the conventional beauty of a wasp waist she is tolerably certain to gain an addition she by no means bargained for a red nose which in numberless instances is produced by no other cause than the unnatural girth obstructing circulation and causing stagnation of the blood in that prominent and important feature often in assemblages of the fair we have seen noses faultless in form but tinged with the abhorred hue to which washes and cosmetics have been applied in wild despair but in vain if the lovely owners had known the cause how speedily the effect would have vanished for surely the most perverse admirer of a distorted spine and compressed lungs would deem the acquisition of a dram-drinker's nose too heavy a condition to be compiled with a well-bred woman will not demand as a right what she may have a claim to expect from the politeness of the other sex nor show dissatisfaction and resentment if she fancies herself neglected for want of good breeding some females are exorbitant in their expectations and appear unthankful even when everything is done which true politeness demands young women should guard against this unamiable defect a well-bred person will take care not to use slang words and expressions there never has been a time at least in late years when there have not been some two or three cant vulgarisms in vogue among all the blackguards of the country sometimes these phrases have been caught up from some popular song or farce sometimes we believe they have had their origin where assembles the collective wisdom of the country a dozen of these terse but meaningless sayings now dance before our recollection for who has not heard them even to loathing but from whatever source they may have been drawn or whatever wit there might be in their original position the obtrusion of them into decent society is an unwarrantable piece of impertinence. A habit of inserting into familiar conversations such phrases as you know, you perceive, you understand, says he, says she, is so far as those matters extend a sign of a want of good breeding with regard to any specific rules for dressing we do not pretend to arbitrate in such matters let a true sense of propriety of the fitness of things regulate all your habits of living and dressing and it will produce such a beautiful harmony and consistency of character as will throw a charm around you that all will feel though few may comprehend always consider well whether the articles of dress which you wish to purchase are suited to your age your condition your means to the climate to the particular use to which you mean to put them and let the principles of good taste keep you from the extremes of the fashion and regulate the form so as to combine utility and beauty, whilst the known rules of harmony in colors save you from shocking the eye of the artist by incongruous mixtures. Manners, says the eloquent Edmund Burke, are of more importance than laws. Upon them, in a great measure, the laws depend the law can touch us here and there now and then manners are what vex or soothe corrupt or purify exalt or debase barbarize or refine by a constant steady uniform insensible operation like that of the air we breathe in they give their whole form and colors to our lives according to their quality they aid morals they supply them or they totally destroy them four important rules order is heaven's first law one a suitable place for everything and everything in its place two A proper time for everything and everything done in its time three a distinct name for everything and everything called by its name four a certain use for everything and everything put to its use much time would be saved many disputes avoided numerous articles kept from being lost or injured and constant confusion and disorder prevented by the strict observance of these four important rules dispense with ornaments altogether rather than wear mock jewellery depend upon it silvery hair is better adapted to the faded cheeks of middle age than are tresses of nut-brown or coal-black or any of the mysterious shades produced by a dirty decoction called hair-dye the habitual use of very thin shoes invariably makes the feet tender and a host of other inconveniences arise therefrom if you are tempted to purchase tight shoes don't for several reasons but one may suffice you will not wear them more than twice if you are not quite certain of the line between neatness and the reverse be over scrupulous about your undergarments the edge of a soiled petticoat or the glimpse of a rent stocking is singularly disenchanting men of sense i speak not of boys of eighteen to five-and-twenty during their age of detestability men who are worth the trouble of falling in love with and the fuss and inconvenience of being married to and to whom one might after some inward conflicts and a course perhaps of fasting and self-humiliation submit to fulfil those ill-contrived vows of obedience which are exacted at the altar such men want for their wives companions not dolls and women who would suit such men are just as capable of loving fervently deeply as the ringletina full of song and sentiment who cannot walk cannot rise in the morning cannot tie her bonnet strings faints if she has to lace her boots never in her life brushed out her beautiful hair would not for the world prick her delicate finger with plain sewing but who can work harder than a factory girl upon a lamb's wool shepherdess dance like a dervis at balls ride like a fox-hunter and whilst every breath of air gives her cold in her father's house and she cannot think how people can endure this climate she can go out to parties in february and march with an inch of sleeve and half a quarter of bodice all circumstances well examined there can be no doubt providence has willed that man should be the head of the human race even as woman is its heart that he should be its strength as she is its solace that he should be its wisdom as she is its grace that he should be its mind its impetus and its courage as she is its sentiment, its charm and its consolation. Too great an amelioration could not be effected, in our opinion, in the system generally adopted, which, far from correcting or even compensating the presumed intellectual inequality of the two sexes, generally serves only to increase it by placing for example dancing and needlework at the extreme poles of female study the one for its attraction and the other for its utility and by not filling the immense interval with anything more valuable than mere monotonous imperfect superficial and totally unphilosophical notions this system has made of the greater number of female seminaries establishments which may be compared alike to nursery grounds for coquettes and sempstresses it is never remembered that in domestic life conversation is of more importance than the needle or choreography that a husband is neither a patcher nor a lazarone who must be perpetually intoxicated or increasingly patched that there are upon the conjugal dial many long hours of calm intimacy of cool contemplation of cold tenderness and that the husband makes another home elsewhere if his own hearth offers him only silence or what is a hundred times worse merely frivolous and monotonous discourse let the woman play the gossip at a given moment that is all very well let her superintend the laundry or the kitchen at another that is also very well but these duties only comprise two-thirds of her mission ought care not to be taken that during the rest of her time she could also be capable of becoming to her husband a rational friend a cheerful partner an interesting companion or at least an efficient listener whose natural intelligence even if originally inferior to his own shall by the help of education have been raised to the same level pascal says kind words do not cost much they never blister the tongue or lips and we have never heard of any mental trouble arising from this quarter though they do not cost much one they help one's own good nature soft words soften our own soul angry words are fuel to the flame of wrath and make it blaze more fiercely two kind words make other people good-natured cold words freeze people and hot words scorch them and bitter words make them bitter and wrathful words make them wrathful there is such a rush of all other kinds of words in our days that it seems desirable to give kind words a change among them there are vain words and idle words and hasty words and spiteful words and silly words and empty words, and profane words, and boisterous words, and warlike words. Kind words also produce their own image on men's souls, and a beautiful image it is. They smooth and quiet, and comfort the hearer. They shame him out of his sour, morose, unkind feelings we have not yet begun to use kind words in such abundance as they ought to be used a writer in the new york observer speaking of the necessity of guarding the tongue says it is always well to avoid saying everything that is improper but it is especially so before children and here parents as well as others are often in fault children have as many ears as grown persons and they are generally more attentive to what is said before them what they hear they are very apt to repeat and as they have no discretion and not sufficient knowledge of the world to disguise anything It is generally found that children and fools speak the truth. See that boy's eyes glisten while you are speaking of a neighbor in a language you would not wish to have repeated. He does not fully understand what you mean, but he will remember every word, and it will be strange if he does not cause you to blush by the repetition. A gentleman was in the habit of calling at a neighbour's house, and the lady had always expressed to him great pleasure from his calls. One day, just after she had remarked to him, as usual, her happiness from his visit, her little boy entered the room. The gentleman took him on his knee and asked, Are you not glad to see me, George? No, sir replied the boy why not my little man he continued because mother don't want you to come said george indeed how do you know that george here the mother became crimson and looked daggers at her little son but he saw nothing and therefore replied because she said yesterday she wished that old boar would not call here again that was enough the gentleman's hat was soon in requisition and he left with the impression that great is the truth and it will prevail another little child looked sharply in the face of a visitor and being asked what she meant by it replied i wanted to see if you had a drop in your eye i heard mother say you had frequently a boy once asked one of his father's guests who it was that lived next door to him and when he heard his name inquired if he was not a fool no my little friend replied the guest he is not a fool but a very sensible man But why did you ask that question? Because, replied the boy, mother said the other day that you were next door to a fool and I wanted to know who lived next door to you. The best way to overcome the selfishness and rudeness you sometimes meet with on public occasions is by great politeness and disinterestedness on your part overcome evil with good and you will satisfy your own conscience and perhaps touch theirs contending for your rights stirs up the selfish feelings in others but a readiness to yield them awakens generous sentiments and leads to mutual accommodation the more refined you are and the greater have been your advantages the more polite and considerate you should be towards others the more ready to give place to some poor uneducated girl who knows no better than to push herself directly in your way politeness is as necessary to a happy intercourse with the inhabitants of the kitchen as with those of the parlour it lessens the pains of service promotes kind feelings on both sides and checks unbecoming familiarity always thank them for what they do for you and always ask rather than command their services of late years the wearing of jewellery in season and out of season both by matrons and unmarried females has increased vastly. It is an indication that the growing wealth of the people is not accompanied by a corresponding refinement, but that the love of vulgar show, the low pride of ostentation, takes the place of a pure and elevated taste. The emulation with fashionable dames, nowadays, so far from being as with the spartan woman to excel each other in household virtues is to wear the largest diamonds and in this ambition they forget fitness beauty taste everything but the mere vulgar desire to shine to be gracefully and elegantly attired in short is secondary to the desire to be a sort of jeweler's walking show-card we do not oppose the use of diamonds and pearls altogether as some persons might imagine from these remarks a few diamonds judiciously worn look well on proper occasions on married women but young girls rarely or never Improve their appearance by the use of these dazzling jewels, and as a general rule, the simpler the costume of a woman in her teens, the better. Women are usually pretty up to the age of twenty at least. Consequently, at this period of life, there are few whom an elaborate attire does not injure. A simple dress or a rosebud in the hair is frequently all that is required and more only spoils that combination of youthfulness grace and modesty which it should be the highest ambition of the girl to attain because if she did but know it it is her highest charm instead of this however we see gay females, scarcely freed from the nursery, wearing enormous jeweled eardrops or sporting on the finger a diamond ring as large as a sixpence. Sometimes, too, ladies pretending to be well-bred descend to receive a morning visitor of her own sex, glittering like a jeweller's case with costly gems in all this we repeat there is neither refinement nor elegance but simply vulgar ostentation female dress has ceased to be a means of beautifying the person or displaying the wearer's taste and has become instead a mere brag of the husband's or father's wealth A knowledge of domestic duties is beyond all price to a woman. Every one of the sex ought to know how to sew and knit and mend and cook and superintend a household. In every situation of life, high or low, this sort of knowledge is of great advantage. There is no necessity that the gaining of such information should interfere with intellectual acquirement or even elegant accomplishment. A well-regulated mind can find time to attend to all. When a girl is nine or ten years old, she should be accustomed to take some regular share in household duties and to feel responsible for the manner in which her part is performed such as her own mending washing the cups and putting them in place cleaning silver or dusting and arranging the parlour this should not be done occasionally and neglected whenever she finds it convenient she should consider it her department when older than twelve girls should begin to take turns in superintending the household making puddings pies cakes etc to learn effectively they should actually do these themselves and not stand by and see others do them many a husband has been ruined For want of these domestic qualities in a wife. And many a husband has been saved from ruin by his wife. Being able to manage well the household concerns. It is a mark not only of ill-breeding. But of positive want of feeling and judgment. To speak disparagingly of a physician to one of his patients many persons visiting an invalid friend will exclaim loudly against the treatment pursued recommend a different doctor and add to the sufferings of the patient by their injudicious remarks upon the medicines or practice used it is too much the fashion in conversation to use exaggerated expressions which are opposed to truth, without the person employing them, being aware of it, from the mere force of habit. Why need we say splendid for pretty, magnificent for handsome, horrid for unpleasant, immense for large, thousands or myriads, for any number more than two this practice is pernicious for the effect is to deprive the person who is guilty of it from being believed when she is in earnest no one can trust the testimony of an individual who in common conversation is indifferent to the import and regardless of the value of words politeness is very essential to the right transaction of that great business of women's life shopping the variety afforded by the shops of a city renders people difficult to please and the latitude they take in examining and asking the price of goods which they have no thought of buying is so trying to the patience of those who attend upon them that nothing but the most perfect courtesy of demeanour can reconcile them to it some persons behave in shopping as if no one had any rights or any feelings but the purchasers as if the sellers of goods mere automatons put behind the counter to do their bidding they keep them waiting whilst they talk of other things with a friend they call for various goods ask the price and try to cheapen them without any real intention of buying a lady who wants decision of character after hesitating and debating till the poor trader's patience is almost exhausted will beg him to send the article to her house for her to examine it there and after giving him all this trouble she will refuse to purchase it without any scruple or apology some think they have a right to exchange articles at the place where they were bought whereas that privilege should be asked as a favor only by a good customer and then but rarely end of chapter twenty six end of the lady's book of etiquette and manual of politeness by florence hartley